Hello everyone. Welcome to the Startup and Career Show. This is the podcast where we discuss the professional journeys of distinguished leaders including startup founders, corporate leaders, authors who share their real life experiences. Today we have with us Ms. Bhairavi Jani, Executive Director SCA Group, a powerhouse in logistics and supply chain sector. She's also the World Economic Forum's young global leader and chairperson of IEF Entrepreneurship Foundation. She's written her first debut book, Highway to Swades, based on her travel experiences across India and the things that binds Indians together. A very warm welcome, Bhairavi. Glad to have you on the podcast today. Hey, Risha. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. And a hello to everyone out there. I am so looking forward to this conversation today. Wonderful. So Bhairavi, to begin with, uh, you know, would request you if you could share your professional journey all these years and how did you manage to establish yourself in the logistics industry to begin with? Well, uh, so here's a little cheat note. I come from a business family and my family has been into logistics business for more than 125 years now. So clearly that was not such a big challenge, but I did my undergraduate in decision sciences, which today we know more as data science in the United States in the mid nineties. And from there, I went to work at KPMG Consulting in Washington, DC. And whilst I was working there, I could see that there were a lot of transitions happening in India. You know, we're talking late, sort of late nineties and early two thousands. and multinationals were setting up shop in India. Um, there was a lot of growth potential. And I felt that if I didn't come back now, then I would miss the boat. And so I decided to come back from United States. I remember my father flew all the way to Washington, D.C. to tell me that nobody was going to give a 21-year-old so much money in India, not at all him. And that if I came back, I would be completely on my own. Nevertheless, I came back because I believed in what was happening in India and I continue to believe in the promise of India even today. But at that point in time, which is about 22 years ago, I was 21, I was young. And when I came back, my father suggested that, why don't you, since you know so much, uh, why don't you start your own firm? And at that point in time, I thought of starting a company, which in our uh, industry is termed as a fourth party logistics company. So fourth party logistics company, in essence, not just executes a client's supply chain, but also designs it. And because a lot of multinationals were coming into India, they needed somebody to design their supply chain and distribution network and also execute it. So like a built operate managed model or a built operate transfer to third party model. And that's what the company did. It is a company called I3PL. And uh, in 2005, then I exited from that company, at least the management of the company, and uh, then went on to INSEAD to do an executive MBA. When I came back, I was interviewed by the board and senior colleagues in my father's family business. And uh, I was deemed appropriate to lead new ventures and projects and mergers and acquisition. And that's how I started my journey in my family business. Over the years, then, of course, we grew and we started new companies, acquired. I grew to the position on the board. Um, I now lead primarily strategic projects. Uh, and I also play a role in working with the management, uh, working with the CEOs uh, to really kind of see how we are strategically guiding the company. And that's more my role, um, more at the board level. Uh, but in 2010, when I was running our warehousing company, I had the opportunity 
to um, go and serve on a foundation that was being set up by CII uh, in the memory of Professor C.K. Prahlad, the guy who wrote the bottom of the pyramid book, but he was also the guy who came up with the idea of India at 75, way back in 2007, when he was asked to speak about India at 60, he said, I want to look ahead. I want to talk about India at 75. And he was very keen that a young person like me should join. And he hadn't, you know, that was a wish he had expressed to some of these people. And then he passed away. And so when they set up this public foundation uh, in partnership uh, with organizations and CII, you know, came forward and uh, you know, offered to house it and lead it, I quit my family business and for two years came to set up that foundation, uh, build that team uh, and be here in Delhi for two years. And so in a way, that was my first shift towards policy because till then I was your quintessential entrepreneur. And uh, then after my full-time time at India at 75, I decided to step back. But when I decided to step back, I kind of didn't want to go back and rearrange my business because when I had decided to step out, I had to completely professionalize our business. And there was no point going back and changing that. So post-2012, 50% of my time goes to business, 50% of my time goes to pro bono, advising and working with state governments, public institutions, multilateral bodies, union government, uh, in on developmental projects or things that are truly exciting and challenging. So that's what I do and that's been my journey. Wow, that, that's so interesting, by the way, because, uh, you know, it's not just about, uh, you know, coming back, uh, you know, coming back to India, uh, looking at the India growth story, but also doing it, executing it on ground, not only for your own business, but also for the, for the larger community, if I were to say, right? And, and you did mention about the Young India Initiative. And since we have our listeners, right, who are, who are the students and the early stage founders, if you could throw a little more light on that perspective, what exactly it is and, and what it helps, uh, you know, these young founders. Well, way back in the early 2000s, CII came up with the idea of a young business forum to have younger people from businesses be part of the forum. But all of us got together, we were about 30 odd, and it was led by Sanjay Reddy, who now leads the GVK group, um, who, who designed, built the Mumbai airport, for example. Um, so Sanjay came up with the idea saying that let's not limit it to people just from business families and let it not be a networking body, but something with more of a purpose. And what kind of purpose? The purpose to attract more and more young people to give their time and energy for the developmental causes in the nation and in society. And so that was the genesis so YI, it is called Young Indians. Today, of course, it's spread across 60 plus places. It has 5,000 plus active members, thousands of students. But we started as 30 people, like a small stuff. And what it did for me as a young person, I was only 23 when I joined it, was that it exposed me to a whole new scale of thinking about India, thinking about the opportunities that were there, teaching me skills like peer leadership. You know, when you know, in an organization like that, there's nobody a boss, nobody is reporting to anybody, but there are hierarchies and you work together and build something together. You work with people from different startup society, from different corners of the country. And I think and say that why I gave me that opportunity to understand my own potential as a leader, but also gave me the platform to do something meaningful and concrete for my country. Well, that, that's interesting, uh, by the way. And I think uh, to all the listeners who are there, I think definitely do check out this initiative. I think tons and tons of knowledge, uh, you know, not only on the networking part, but also on the practical side of things. Uh, 
by the way, coming to the, uh, you know, uh, with respect to the book that you have written, but before I talk about it, I wanted to know what was your inspiration to drive across India for 51 days nonstop, you know, because that is what uh, cultivated in this book, right? So first, if you can talk about that journey, uh, what led you to take that decision of uh, driving across the country and why did you choose the road specifically? So, Vishab, I have always traveled because my father's business was also into logistics. So I have been traveling pretty much all my life and my business also in logistics. So, you know, you have to travel. But uh, when I was doing India at 75 and when I kind of moved back from the active role, I had this question as to where, what is it that I want to do more? And I'm not a teacher, so I can't go and teach, nor am I a doctor, so I can't go and serve and do like a medical camp, right? I'm an entrepreneur. And so I wanted to help other entrepreneurs, but I did not know what kind of help entrepreneurs across the country needed. I mean, beyond the urban towns, right? Urban towns, we understand people are looking for funding, mentoring, networking, et cetera, et cetera. But what about beyond tier one and tier two? What are those entrepreneurs? What are those business owners looking for? What do they? What are their challenges? How are they making their decisions, both in business as well as their livelihood choices? And that was my reason to actually get get in a car with three friends. One was a rally driver, one was an endologist, and one was a cameraman because we wanted to film the interviews we were taking. But when I got in the car, I mean, something completely else took over and that's what has resulted in the book, as you can see. Wow. But then, uh, you know, one was traveling all through, right? The other is converting the whole experience into a book, right? So because you're not an author per se, right? I mean, you're a business owner. Uh, you, you've been in the policy side of things uh, and you traveled. Now to put it all across uh, in the real hard pages, how was that experience all about? It was great. In fact, I was a very hesitant beginner because I really didn't think I had anything useful to say, frankly speaking. And then I realized that there were all these learnings because I would keep talking to people, you know, after the journey in 2014, you know, when you meet people or you're at forums or you're sitting with colleagues, you keep talking about it and people keep saying, you know, you should write about it. And I was like, no, 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 no I'll write a time. I can write a blog, you write an article, you know, because you think of writers with people with a lot of time. I have no time. And so it seemed like a very big exercise. But, but I think eventually I managed to, you know, sort of surmount my own shadows and my own doubts and kind of come to a conclusion that there was a story uh, and it wasn't my story. It was a story of India and Indians that needed to be told, the 21st century Indians. Because a lot of stories that we are told about our country are dated, they're in the past. Or even if they were contemporary, they were contemporary for that time, let's say Nehru's discovery of India, for example. But we do not have people who have written about our country in present day that is relatable to our generation. And I thought that was something I owed to, to to people, uh, you know, to my generation, to myself, and also to my country. And so, therefore, I decided that I should write this book about what it means to be an Indian in the 21st century. And for me, it was a process of settling my relationship with my own country. Oh, definitely, Vairavi. I think uh, thanks for writing this up because it's not just about your experiences anymore. Because when you read, it's like, you know, the person is on the road 
you know so that is the feeling that you get while reading the book so no doubt about it but uh, you know by the way having yeah. having said that you know and you know sorry you asked about the road and why the yeah. road because road gives me the flexibility to stop to ponder to take a longer time somewhere which other modes of transport really don't because there is a start time and a end time that you have to adhere to but on a road you have the flexibility to just be in the zone and i think that's why the road wow awesome awesome so by the way uh, you know your journey has been on the road all through right i mean when i say on the road in the sense you've traveled for your business for for various of the policy uh, you know initiatives that you were part of so, so uh, can you tell us why is this traveling so important and the lessons these entrepreneurs can actually learn from traveling so rishab as we all know that it's very important for entrepreneurs to constantly challenge their comfort zone hmm. comforts are not just terms of the physical comfort zone where you are staying what you are eating but comfort zone in terms of their mindsets and their mind frame mm. now before i began this journey i for example always thought of entrepreneurship as something that startups do companies like ours do right i had a very sort of an organized sector view on the the whole activity and the whole aspect of enterprise building along the way when we were driving through the eastern ghats uh, in araku in andhra pradesh to koraput in in odisha through the jungles of eastern ghats we encountered a market day of the bhumya paroja and gond tribes and it was amazing it, it you know i think even a speed networking event won't have that kind of a buzz that this market did it was under this clear blue sky but there were these bright tarpaulin women and men you know coming in vehicles back to the brim right they were coming in bus they were coming in three wheelers and they would get off and you know these women would set up their little stall of the forest produce that they had harvested and they had come here to sell it and, and then there were men who had gone to the nearby town and they had come back you know to kind of sell those products everything from mobile phones to you know gm seeds to fertilizer equipment to beads to honey to forest produce everything was being sold there right and the great part is that it was all sold out i mean in 2 3 hours these women managed to sell everything and i was asking myself this question that let me ask them if they heard of the term entrepreneurship i mean of course in, in their language we had somebody translate it and they were like no what is that but clearly they had learned to spot a market opportunity sell decide a pricing and they were successful at it obviously and more importantly they were committed to the idea of self reliance and they were willing to bring that personal individual initiative and enterprise for that self reliance and that kind of made me reframe the very idea of entrepreneurship that it is not about you know oh you know let's launch this new great product or service but it is a commitment to self reliance for yourself and for many others and it is about bringing your personal enterprise and when i reframed entrepreneurship like that i understood that entrepreneurship is not just about cannot be just about you know solving a market opportunity but entrepreneurship can also be about solving problems in society and therefore this power of enterprise in abundance that we have in this country it can change everything and if i had not traveled rishab i would not be able to do that and so my advice to entrepreneurs is that if you truly want to keep challenging yourself and challenging the framing in your mind about your own business and your own ideas and your own potential 
and the best ways to get on the road. Sure that absolutely. So, by the way, uh, you know, you've given some 12 superpowers in the book, right? Uh, but I specifically wanted to draw attention to the power of assimilation. Now, can you talk about it in detail for our listeners? Actually, thank you for picking that one, Risha, because people normally ask me, which is your favorite power? And then I have to go and pick power of assimilation. And the reason I go and pick it is because, you know, an America will also have a power of enterprise and power of creativity may be present in France also. And power of beauty can be present probably in Italy also. Power of food can be present, for example, in, you know, Germany also. But power of assimilation is one power you will not find in any country in the world. It is unique to India and Indians. We don't share it with anyone. And it is a power that allows us to be like an alchemist, which is have what we have, take what has come from somewhere else, merge it, mix it, and completely create something new out of it. For example, the kind of Chinese food we have, the Chinese would not recognize, right? It's the same oh, thing with, for example, absolutely. yeah, like our Bollywood dancing or what we do or, you know, the Shezwan Khakras that a woman will make in, in a small gully in Ahmedabad, right? And I think that that is insanely powerful because what that tells us about us as a race is that we are open, mm. we, we, we welcome what is new, we are willing to experiment with it, we are willing to work with it and we are willing to grow from it. True. When we bring these skill sets, to global trade flows, to our geopolitics, to the ma manner in which we trade with the world. No wonder our youngsters can, you know, go and mouth these different accents and be there. No wonder 25 million people of Indian origin live everywhere around the world and Indians are rising, second generation Indians are rising like Rishi Sunak or Kamala Harris to the highest offices because we have this ability to take what we have and mm -hmm. also take from what somebody else has. Because we are truly an inclusive, open race. We are not afraid. Now, you know, had we been like that, fine. But to be like that, despite centuries of invasions, mm -hmm. centuries of colonization, to be like that after all of that is phenomenal. That means it's truly a superpower. It's ingrained in us so much. Whether we term it as Atiti Bhava or Incredible India or Everyone is Welcome or Vasudeva Katumbaka, the languages can be different, right? The, the connotations can be different. But what I want the entrepreneurs to understand is that we are all, by the way, virtue of being Indians, have, I have inherited an ability to work with the world in an open, fair and fearless manner. And therefore, I do think that Indian businesses should become more, more open and more fearless towards the world instead of looking for protection and looking because protection is not what we thrive at. We actually thrive at meeting the world head on and we should do more and more of it. Wow, so beautifully explained by Ravi because, uh, you know, this is even this was this became my favorite superpower, you know, while I was going through the book because this was amazing, amazing because the way the perspective that you've shared, right, uh, I think. Uh, it's incredible you know uh, so you. coming 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 to that uh, you know the, in the book you have this interesting caption right uh, rediscovering india's superpowers and as an author i wanted to pick your brain here wanted to know 
why do you say rediscovery during your travel did you feel we as indians forgot some of the superpowers uh, that our ancestors passed on to us oh absolutely absolutely and it's sometimes not the urban and not the rural indians but urban indians who tend to forget them more the more educated the more well to do we tend to say oh, we're not like that uh-huh. but boss please understand you do have a power in nature you do have a power and when you when you when you rediscover that about yourself then you reset your relationship with your country and you understand and when you understand where you come from then who you are and where you have to go becomes far more clear right mm-hmm. and no matter what we say our identity as indians is a very important part of who we are and and that's something that's very important to us as people therefore it is important to articulate what is it mean to be an indian but it means to it means to be an indian is you you find your superpowers maybe not all 12 will will speak to you but maybe three or four will and you call those powers to action and you do what you can to positively impact the world that to me is what it means to be an indian in the 21st century and therefore i thought that rediscovery is a very important aspect of it because only when you rediscover mm-hmm. is when you come to acceptance and once you come to acceptance you come to awareness Yeah. and from awareness there is so much constructive action possible absolutely absolutely bhairavi so in fact you know uh, bhairavi since you've given so many practical suggestions uh, in the book for for people to grasp on uh, one thing uh, which i also picked up was uh, teaching entrepreneurship as a life skill for problem solving right and you have used this in different forms while narrating stories uh, you know uh, the one that you spoke about just you know on the, the border of andhra pradesh and odisha right so that was also entrepreneurship in some form uh, so can you elaborate a little bit on this because this is a very practical advice you actually go on to say that the way we teach computers in our schools this could also be taught yes absolutely i mean imagine if uh, if you have a community that is inherently creative Hmm. if you teach them more creativity if you expose them to more creative tools they will thrive more as creators it's the same thing with entrepreneurship true entrepreneurship as we all know is about spotting a market opportunity but at the end is about solving a problem in the marketplace or otherwise but yeah. if we treat that as a skill to our young people because they are inherently enterprising by nature let's accept that first that it is our superpower most indians have it most indians are great at it look at chukhad right i mean look at how we are dealing with covid so mm-hmm. i think that when we are endowed with something so meaningful that can be helpful in changing a lot about how we live and how we grow as a nation then we need to enhance that ability and that foundation into a proper skill set because we all know as entrepreneurs we may all have great ideas we may all have the ability to persevere we may have the ability to build something all of that is great but we also need an ecosystem we need to know how finances work and we need to know how markets work and so there is a there, there, it does take a village to raise a startup as they say and therefore it needs a set of skill sets which will hone the enterprising power of a young person a young student for it to become a life skill and therefore they will always look at society not as not as a bucket of problems but as a bucket of problems that need to be solved and when you change that 
to change the attitude of the citizen towards nation building. Because as I say in the book, you can outsource everything, but you cannot outsource nation building. That was one of the best statement that I read. Undoubtedly, you can't outsource a nation building. True, true, true that. So in fact, uh, that takes me to another point, by the way, uh, because you've given a phrase in the book called as Atakta Bharat. You know, and since you've traveled across the length and breadth of the country, you know, what do you think is keeping India away from harnessing its full potential? I think that's a very important but a very complicated question. Uh, I'm not sure if I can do justice to it in a few minutes, but if I were to just synthesize it very, very simply, I think what keeps India away sometimes from realizing its true potential is that Indians are not willing to do their bit mm. for things that are beyond themselves. Right? Mm. So we are morally disengaged, for example, from cleanliness. You know, I remember uh, reading in, in Hind Swaraj where Gandhiji had once remarked when he was in Banaras and he said, are the temples going to be cleaner once the British have left? And it was an important question because cleanliness is not something that others have to teach us. So it's something as small as that. And I believe that there has been a successive moral disengagement yeah. at the level of the citizen where maybe systemic because the government gives you free doles and the government creates the wall between the private and public sector, the politics, uh, you know, in post-independent India shaped like that. There could be several reasons. Our education system could be one reason. But we need to make sure that we need to understand that 20 million odd people who are politicians, government officers, you put all of them together, panchayat mm -hmm. leaders to prime minister, you put everybody together, block officer to cabinet secretary, not mm -hmm. more than 20 million people. 20 million people cannot develop a nation of 1.4 billion people. Mm. It is important that the active citizen partnership happens. For that, I think there needs to be active leadership that seeks citizen partnership. And I think I mentioned that in the book that, you know, we need to create platforms for people like you and me, Rishab, to go and give time. I mean, you live in Mumbai. I live yeah. in Gurgaon. Right? You woke up today morning and let's say you have five hours free this week weekend and you'd like to go and give it to your ward office today you can't you can't even enter that building right yeah. why should there be that kind of distinction our our public systems whether at the panchayat level or at the urban local body level need to be open enough for citizens to participate in the building of their community and their and their immediate environment and we haven't done that kind of work on that apart from you know people getting elected but elected officials are not enough, as we know already. True. Absolutely. Absolutely, by the way. Well, this was interesting. But, you know, uh, by the way, since, uh, you know, the timing of your book is also very important, you know, because this is the most opportune time for country because we are presiding over G20 presidency as well, right? So, and you've given these beautiful 12 superpowers which are inherent to India in, in a way. So what is your take? On how should India utilize these superpowers, especially in this time period? I think India is at an amazing threshold of opportunity. You know, you're like at the at the at the platform from where you can spring off, and you decide the direction in which you want to spring off. And you have twelve superpowers. There are many more. I chose to write about twelve, but I think we need to become both. 
very, very committed and realistic about the future and start articulating it at a large scale to our people. Like, for example, what artificial intelligence is going to do to the jobs, yes. especially for a country which is going to have a billion people in the working age by 2030. This is an important conversation. Why are we not having it? What is knowledge economy? What is creative economy? How do we fix our loss in our post-harvest supply chain, make sure our farmers earn better and have more nutrition available for our children? We are one of the most malnourished nations in the world, even though we are in the top five producers of 80% crops in the world. Therefore, we need to bring a systemic thinking to this work. And I think that we are at that point where the world is now looking at us because the world is looking for a democratic model in a society that is open, inclusive, and accepting and diverse to come up with the model of growth, the next model of growth and development. And I think if India manages to do that, India will not just do it for itself, but India will do it for the entire humanity. And that is a that is an opportunity we should not squander. And that's why I wrote the book, because I said, listen, yeah. I think we should we should all wake up and take notice and get going. Absolutely. Absolutely, Bhairavi. So Bhairavi, since you've spoken about the book, I wanted to so, you know touch base uh, about your journey as well, right? Uh, it's It appears to be such a wonderful journey that you've had across different uh, roles and different initiatives that you've been part of. But I'm sure you would have faced many roadblocks and challenges as well. You know, so briefly, if you can talk about them and how did you overcome some of them? So my first challenge was that I was a 21-year-old America-returned woman entrepreneur mm -hmm. in 2001 India. It doesn't get more difficult than that, right? Because both my age and my gender, about which I had nothing, I had no control, I know nothing about, uh, I was always discounted and so state, as they say, the, the, the stakes were against already, you know, there. How do you break that? You break that by actually degendering yourself in your head first. So mm -hmm. I just said, I'm going to forget I'm a woman. I'm going to work like I would work whether I was a male or a female. Mm -hmm. And kid you not, my first warehouse, it had no place to go to bathroom because mm -hmm. for 100 kilometers, there was no bathroom for a woman. And next doors was a transport company. They would park their two trucks in parallel so that I could use the bathroom. That is how I started with a 620 square feet warehouse for a company called Lego. And, you know, then that grew into, but when I built my own warehouses six, seven years later, I made sure that there were toilets and there were, there, were, mm. there was a way where more women could come to work. And in fact, we used to run a full women's shift. 400 women running a warehouse. So I think it is possible, right? And um, when you look at yourself and you say that all these challenges that you face are actually opportunities for you to know yourself better, but also for you to set a new benchmark. And that's what I have done along the way. And I think at the end of the day, as a woman and as an entrepreneur, I believe that my job is to keep sort of stretching the envelope, if you will, right? And maybe everything may not get resolved in my lifetime, but I push the envelope further and therefore then the next generation has more to push forward. And that, what, that's the way I, I look at it as a relay race. I do not look at it as a begin and end, sort of a race to win. True, truly. Very well articulated by Ravi there. You know, on that note, you know, before you leave one last question, you know, the last advice that you want to give to all those potential startup founders, who, who would who would be listening to this podcast? 
the most important thing in your venture, I would say is, what is the purpose for which you are on this journey? And once you are clear about the purpose for which you are setting your enterprise, I don't mean a vision. I don't mean a mission. I don't mean, you know, the purpose of identifying a product. What is the purpose? Why are you an entrepreneur in the first place? I think once the purpose is settled, uh, half the battle is won. The other half of the battle is won when you realize that you as the entrepreneur are the single most important and expensive asset for your venture, which means you always need to take care of yourself. Most entrepreneurs will discount themselves, discount their health, discount their mental well-being because they feel that, oh, I have to sacrifice. But if you're going to deplete the most important resource your company has, which is you, the most irreplaceable the uh, you know resource that the company has, which is you, then you are actually going to go back into negative. And therefore, I would say, Purpose-driven entrepreneurship, know the purpose and know yourself and look after yourself as an entrepreneur. Wow. Very well articulated, Bhairavi. I think it was great speaking to you. Thank you for taking out time. You know, lovely having you on this podcast today. Rishabh, it has been so wonderful to talk because I think you managed to weave different threads, my book, my entrepreneur life, my policy life. Uh, you kind of made me, you know, relive my my life like a film today. So thank you so much for doing that. And I hope everyone enjoys this as much as we have enjoyed talking Absolutely. about it. Absolutely, Bhairavi. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us today. Do read this book and understand what it really means to be an Indian in this century. Goodbye, signing off for now, guys.